Welcome to the Playbook for Amazon podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lieber, and the goal of this podcast is to share what's working today that's helping my company, Turnkey Product Management, sell over eight figures per year on Amazon for our clients. We will share with you the actionable steps, systems, and playbook that you can plug into your business to boost your sales on Amazon. Let's go. All right, guys, today we're going to be talking about selling your business, and I'll get the pleasure of picking the brain of Joe Valley from Quiet Light Brokerage. And uh, Joe, why don't you uh, say hello and, and let us know uh, a little bit about Quiet Light. Okay, so uh, Quiet Light is a online M&A firm. We only deal with online businesses only. I've been around since 2007. A unique feature about Quiet Light is that everyone on the team is an entrepreneur, first and foremost, an online entrepreneur, first and foremost. Everybody's built, bought, or sold their own online business. Most have done all three. They're very talented, very successful. And, uh, you know, we've got guys like Pat Yates, who's been on Shark Tank, has a deal with Robert right now, still runs his e-commerce business, but joined the team uh, a couple of years ago and uh, is a leader on the team as well. Or Brad, who's rolled up 30 content sites, sold it to a private equity firm, Amanda was on the cover of Time Magazine for her pearl importing business at the age of 24. Uh, really high caliber folks and um, not at all salespeople. They're here to help first and foremost. And, you know, one of our, our sort of pin- pinnacle goals is that we provide um, educational resources for all online entrepreneurs. And we want, to re- we want all online entrepreneurs to use Quiet Lights resources if we look out 10 years. Notice that there's nothing in there about Quiet Light being their uh, broker or you know, M&A firm of choice. That will happen with many. It will, ha- it will not happen with some and others may sell on their own or choose another advisor that they already have a relationship with, but we still hope that they use our tools and resources. Nice. And me, and, and, and me, as you could tell, I got some gray on my chin. So I've been around for a while. I've been self-employed since 1997, uh, messing around with uh, entrepreneurship since I was a kid, uh, but fully self-employed since 97. Had a, haven't had a paycheck from anyone in, I guess that's what, 24 years, something like that. Long time. It's been fun. Nice. Well, I'm excited to uh, get to ask some questions. So um, so yeah, catch us up on where's the state of the market of selling businesses. People always want to know it's a buyer's market, seller's market. Uh, there's a lot of Amazon sellers and e-com businesses listening. So uh, yeah, let, let us know. Oh, it's definitely a seller's market right now. Um, you know, if we go back, it just even four or five years ago, the whole mentality of, of selling on Amazon was the whole chicken little buyer thought, chicken little sky's falling. I'm going to buy that. Amazon's going to take over everything. No, no more third-party sellers. They're just going to you know, rule the world. Not the case. Not the case at all. Fast forward to today. And, 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 and back then, it was tough to push multiples. Um, you know, back, back in 2015 or 16, getting anything above 2.75 was hard. In fact, I'd list things at 2.74, so it would round down to 2.7 online. Uh, fast forward to today, there's, as, as if anybody in the audience listening has an Amazon business, they probably have been approached by an aggregator with email, a phone call, a snail mail that says, hey, we buy Amazon businesses, we love your brand, we pay all cash and close in 30 days. It's a very nice pitch. Oftentimes it just feels too good to be true. And that's because oftentimes it is. 
Uh, and, I, and I find that the biggest mistake people make is just focusing and working with one aggregator instead of pitching or, or trying to work with or negotiate with you know, dozens of them so that they get the best deal structure and best offer at the end of the day. But because of all the aggregators and the immense amount of money that has come into buying online businesses, it started with FBA businesses. Now it's trickling over to Shopify stores and content because these aggregators of FBA businesses are realizing that they can boost their Amazon sales of you know, product XYZ by you know, having a content site that is you know, uh, talking about that product and sending traffic to the Amazon store or you know, a Shopify store that is not selling on Amazon. Now they're experts on selling on Amazon. So it's, it's, it's driving up multiples of FBA businesses significantly and also trickle over, trickling over to Shopify stores and content sites, which always traditionally sold at a higher multiple than Amazon stores, but the Amazon stores are catching up to the content sites and the Shopify stores. So definitely a good gotcha. thing these days to be a, to be a seller. Yeah. Well, that's great news. Um, yeah. A lot of our clients, you know, want to sell or have the immediate plans to sell and going through that process uh, right now. So, um, so yeah, aggregator is a term that I didn't hear a whole lot of a few years ago. And now it's like, everywhere anytime a conversation comes up so can you define like clearly like what's an aggregator versus what's say say your business or, or the method that you guys do so we're a agency we're, we're a, a brokerage firm that helps sellers find buyers and walks them through the entire process kind of a white love service we don't have any junior advisors or anything like that so we help connect buyers and sellers an aggregator is someone that has just raised a whole bunch of money and is buying. They're not brokers, they're not selling, they're buying. Their goal is to bring a whole bunch of businesses together under their umbrella. And once they do that, they gain momentum and size and they get higher valuations. Meaning if you have a business that is doing $300,000 in discretionary earnings, grain of salt here, folks, don't say, Joe said, I'm getting this. Let's just say that you're getting a, I'm going to go with a four time multiple. Let's say that you're getting 1.2 million for that business. Let's say it's a product business. Um, if an aggregator buys five of those, they're now doing 1.5 million in discretionary earnings. And instead of a four time multiple they're because of the, the, the diversification of the business, the size of the business, they're now getting, you know, a, a double that for a multiple. Uh, especially when they get into the 40 or 50 brands like, like Thras or Elevator Boost and things of that nature. So they buy them at as low a multiple as possible. And once it goes into their portfolio, they get instant equity because their portfolio is worth eight, 10, some cases, 12 times. And in Thras's case, they're going to um, try to go public. I think by the end of this year, they're, they're, they're going public if they can. So uh, Quiet Light is in the middle of the transaction often between the seller and an aggregator, but the aggregator's always on the buy side. They're always you know, hitting people up saying, we'll buy your business. And, and the challenge there is that, you think, think, think about, uh, you know, I, just, I just mentioned uh, Pat Yates, he went into Shark Tank. If, if anybody wants to see him, it's Pat Yates, Y-A-T-E-S, Shark Tank, and do uh, Happy Feet as a search. Um, but he went into the Shark Tank, ready to pitch his product, his brand. He was so excited about it. He prepared for it. That day that he walked in, there were five sharks in the tank. 
if he had walked into the tank and there was only one shark, that being Mr. Wonderful, he wouldn't have gotten a deal at all, or it would have been a terrible deal. It wouldn't have been the absolute best deal with the best terms that he could have gotten. And unfortunately, that's what most people are doing when they're selling their Amazon businesses or Shopify site or content site to an aggregator. They're not pitching to anyone except for Mr. Wonderful. And that person that they're pitching to is usually the one that reached out to them. And so what they, what I advise in the, in, in the, in the book is, you know, if you're going to put together a business proposal and you put together a package, you want to pitch to as many aggregators as possible. And all you have to do is a Google search now for a list of Amazon aggregators, and it'll give you, a, you know, 50 to 100 of them, uh, plenty of options. But you're going to put together a package to be able to uh, ship to all of them and negotiate against it, you know, have them negotiate against each other in a, in a polite, professional way. The, these are good people, Jeff. Have you had a chance to meet with any aggregators at this point? Not directly, no. No. Well, they're very nice. They're very likable. They're very well educated, uh, and all of that has allowed them to raise, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but because they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're very likable, and they're very well educated, and they're charming, they're dangerous to you, the Amazon seller, because you know I like these guys. I trust these guys. I, I trust them with my brand. I, I'm okay with a you know a profit sharing plan and all these other things, uh, even though as I said they you know promise all cash, but oftentimes there's something that changes on the back end, um, and they'll say, well, based upon this model, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing, uh, and that's dangerous because you think you're getting the absolute best deal because they know what they're talking about and they're really really likable and charming, but it's not. It's, it's not, I don't want to say ever the case, but not often the case. Uh, we had a, uh, a situation uh, on a listing. Uh, this, this, this woman that's not too far from me, I'm in, uh, I'm in uh, Davidson, North Carolina, just north of Charlotte. Someone that lives in the area uh, bought a uh, Amazon business a few years ago, grew it like crazy just by not running out of inventory. And then, um, and of course, other things that she did very, very well too. Um, and then, you know, got a, got a phone call from one of these uh, aggregators, um, very polite, professional, knowledgeable, good people, truly good people. And I mean that. I have dinner and drinks with them. I like them. They're very likable. But the problem in this situation was that they said 2.6 million. That's, that's, that's the best you're going to get based upon the risks, all of the age of the business, you know, you know, uh, skew concentration, things of this nature, possible pandemic boost, and all these other things. We know what the value of your business is. And honestly, we pay the highest values. And this is the most you're going to get for the business. That was the pitch. Very believable. But something in her, you know, raised hairs on the back of her neck. And she said, hold on, hold on, hold on. And she started to investigate and look around. She ended up working with Chuck on the team and had multiple offers from multiple aggregators and other investors that were not aggregators, they're just individual buyers of these types of businesses. I think it was seven or eight offers altogether. And the uh, settled on price was just over 5.5 million that she sold the business for. So she's gone from, this is the best you're going to get from really likable, charming, intelligent, well-funded people to getting more than double that because she had aggregators and other buyers negotiating against each other. And um, it, it obviously it worked out very well, but I think the biggest mistake people make when selling their Amazon businesses is, is uh, only working with one aggregator. The other, Jeff, is they simply don't 
calculate sellers' discretionary earnings properly. That's the biggest first mistake that they they usually make. It's 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 complicated to do, but that's 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 the number one thing I would say they do wrong. Gotcha. So don't take the first offer you get probably from anyone, whether it's an aggregator or you know just any buyer, because you. Uh, you know, want to create that competition. I, I sold my business um, a few years ago and, and same thing, you know, um, when we had multiple buyers, we had multiple offers on the business that gave me leverage, the seller to, um, you know, when, when someone wanted to lowball, I said, Hey, <laughs> like, I've got this offer and this offer. And then they came up, you know, but if you're just going against, like you said, Mr. Wonderful, you know, and that you think that's all you can get. Um, it, it's not, not going to be the case hardly ever. You, know, you just got to put in the work or time or talk. They, so if someone, you know, if an aggregator makes an offer to somebody listening, can they just like come to you guys and say, Hey, like, just want to like, you guys know, like, is this a good deal or not? Like, is that the sort of thing you guys can, can do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, everything we do, I, I have a, I have a mentor that I was talking to a few years ago and I told him about the business model at QuietLine. He said, Joe, it, it, it sounds like you guys just give everything away for free and hope people work with you. And I'm like, exactly, Walter. That's what we do. And he was confused. He's, he's quite a bit older than I am, but it's a model that works and it's worked very well for 14 years now. Um, yeah, 14 years doing my quick math there in my head, um, without a doubt. So if somebody is in a current situation with a negotiator with an aggregator and they want to get evaluation opinion, we can do that. Uh, we don't charge for it. Uh, we do it to help you to educate and to, you know, lift up the value of your business and others. And, you know, if it doesn't work out with your current uh, person you're negotiating with or people that you're negotiating with, Hopefully the default is that you'll work with a member of our team to list the business for sale. The, the other thing that I, you know, that I want to suggest, you know, a lot of people are um, uncomfortable picking up the phone and talking um, with, with somebody that would be quote unquote a broker because they're afraid they're going to be talked into something. They, they don't feel like they have the time. So, you know, uh, from my experience at Quietlight, I joined the company in 2012, after I sold my own or my last e-commerce business to the company, now the original founder, Mark Doust, and I are partners and we're very, again, education focused. That's why I wrote the book, The Exitpreneur's Playbook. Most people are not comfortable. And, I, and seriously, I think probably 90% of the people are not comfortable picking up the phone and talking to a broker. They feel like it's going to take too much time and that they're going to get talked into something. So they can get a copy of the book, which goes through the entire process from just trying to understand valuations, trying to understand deal structures, negotiating, how to calculate seller's discretionary earning, what the heck is an ad back, all the way through to uh, negotiating the asset purchase agreement and, and, and certain types of deal structures. A lot of little things that can help you sleep a heck of a lot better at night. Um, some pretty clear things that, uh, you know, I think the chapter... I think it's chapter 11. I Sometimes I forget, Jeff, but there's free chapters available at exitpreneur.io. Uh, and the most popular downloaded one is uh, on adbacks, right? So people for a decade have been saying, so what are things selling at these days? What kind of multiples are Amazon businesses getting? And I answer that question, but I have to say, well, a multiple of what? And let me explain what, how multiples are. Uh, calculated and that type of thing. So we go through, you know, the valuation formula, which is net income plus addbacks equals sellers discretionary earnings. And then you get into what the heck is an addback. Uh, did you know, for instance, that you could add back cashback monies that you get from your 2% cashback credit card? Right? 
Now, what about reward points? If you get reward points, like most of us do, I've got a ton of reward points because I like to use them to travel and things of that nature. Those are convertible at uh, 1% and mine's on, a, on an Amex. So I can convert those on paper in an ad back schedule. And you know, if I spend a million dollars a year in advertising, then I can convert that uh, by month uh, to you know, dollars without actually cashing them in. But it's, it's an owner benefit to me. Therefore, it is an ad back. It goes into the ad back schedule. And I've seen cash back monies alone in an ad back schedule uh, increase the value of a business by close to $150,000. So a multiple of what? A multiple of seller's discretionary earnings. Figure out how to calculate it and, and definitely dig deep on your, on your ad back schedule, especially if you're selling on your own to an aggregator. They won't tell you, you know, that you missed something. I was on a, um, I was on a uh, ask me anything with an aggregator. It was kind of awkward. It was great. Good people. Again, I, I love these guys, Jess. Um, but, uh, you know, we're talking about ad backs and, and you know, I had, I had this, I'm fighting for the, I'm fighting for the exitpreneur, right? That person that wants to sell their business. And so I asked the aggregator, I'm like, you guys subscribe to Helium 10, right? Yes, of course. What about Jungle Sky? Absolutely. I'm like, combine, how much do you spend every month? Mm, probably four or $500. I said, okay, let's go with 500 just for round numbers. And that's like the premium packages on all. I said, so if Jeff has an Amazon business and he subscribes to both Helium 10 and Jungle Scout, is that an expense that will carry forward to you? No, because we already, we already spend that money. Okay, therefore it's an ad back. So $500 a month times 12 months, $6,000. And if you're selling your business for a four-time multiple, that's $24,000 added to the list price of the business. Now that only works if you're selling to an aggregator. If you're selling to the general public and listing your business for anybody, that doesn't work. But if you've been approached by an aggregator, you can do an ad back like that. All those little nuances, Jeff, and I'm talking way too much, I apologize, but I get so... I don't know, worked up and passionate about this that I just want everybody to have the information to make sure they're going to get the maximum value for the business. They work so hard for it, just like you have, just like I have. And it's a shame to sell it um, and realize later that you lost $30,000 or a year's tuition, you know, for a, you know, a great state school or wherever your kids might be going to school just because you didn't pay attention to that part of it. Yep. No, for sure. I, I mean, those are great tips. And yeah, when I, when I sold my business, yeah, looking back, you know, as soon as the deal closed, you know, and now a couple of years later, I, I know there's some things I would have changed about the deal, or maybe I, I missed some of those potential ad backs that could have, you know, put uh, thousands of dollars, you know, in, in my pocket. So uh, um, yeah, inf information is power, but you gotta, you gotta ask for it. So yeah. Um, cool. And then uh, next I wanted to ask, so have you ever, so like, what, what are the average multiples right now you're seeing for, yeah, say an Amazon business, they're also doing Shopify. Yeah. Um, those are their two channels and they're doing, you know, 2 million bucks uh, in revenue, 500K in, uh, you know, SDE, seller's discretionary earnings. What, what would be an average multiple for that level? And then maybe okay. like one level up. All right. So anybody listening, please don't say, but Joe said my <laughs> business was worth X because he's, you know, so average multiples, medium multiples. It's a, it's a, it's a range, right? I actually just looked up this morning because someone had, had posted in a Facebook group asking me if, you know, they asked that question, what are things selling for these days? It's, is it, is an FBA business still selling at two to three times? 
he didn't say SDE two or three times SDE. He just said two or three times. And so I looked it up. And uh, in the last 12 months, just 100% pure FBA businesses, we, we sold about $68 million in FBA businesses. And the multiple ranges, and this is for all sizes, go from, uh, I think it was like 3.3 up to 5.53 or something like that. Now, keep in mind that that does not include inventory. That's only a multiple of discretionary earnings. And when you include inventory, it's going to add another half point or full point to that. Now, why is that a distinction? The businesses sell for a multiple of seller's discretionary earnings plus the landed cost of goods sellable inventory on hand at the time of closing. You get paid for the inventory, or you should. Some aggregators try to negotiate it in as working capital costs, uh, a couple of months of it anyway. Um, there's one exception to that rule, and that's website closers. Uh, it's not right or wrong that they do it this way, but they add inventory into the purchase price. And so at a glance, it looks like they list things at a higher multiple. And that's good for sellers, I guess. For buyers, they it looks like things are like, expensive there. But it's just the, 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 the place that the original founder there came from. So that's the way they did it. It's not right or wrong. Uh, and when you get into the 25, 30, 40 million dollar range, some of those buyers are going to look for uh, inventory included in that quote unquote purchase price. Now, I give you a broad range. Some businesses will sell for less. Something that's doing $100,000 has one skew and revenue is declining it's not gonna be worth three and a half, right? It's gonna be worth two and a half or two, or it could be less, right? It could be a fire sale situation. If it's doing a million dollars in revenue and growing by 40% year over year, has 17 SKUs and it's well balanced and has 30% recurring revenue, then that business is gonna sell for a much higher multiple than the average. That one might start at six times. You know, it all depends. There's no one average fits all, one size fits all, because it's it's not actually just about the numbers. It's not a, just about you know the discretionary earnings times a multiple. First, you're going to go at the size of the business is going to in in some ways dictate the multiple, and then the risks associated with the business, uh, and then what growth up or down or built-in growth that you've already done is going to you know, drive that multiple up or down. And then is the business fully transferable? Are there going to be headaches and hassles? Are you the name and face of the business? If you are, you got to stick around for a little while. And then how good uh, is the documentation? All of that instills confidence in buyers. And when they have great confidence, the value of the business, the multiple can be pushed a little higher. So math is 10% of it. It's really, really important. But the other things that I just talked about, which would be, you know, risk, growth, transferability, and documentation, that's the, the intangible stuff that really is the art part of putting a value on a business. And that's why, you know, if I talk about ranges, it's going to be a very broad range. Gotcha. Oh, that's awesome. I, sorry to disappoint there. I, I can't give you an exact number. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. It's going to be a range, of course. Um, so the next question I wanted to ask was, have you ever sold a business where they were using an agency, you know, like, like mine or, or yeah. someone else's agency, but something like that, um, or the buyer planned to use one, maybe the, the seller wasn't, but the buyer was planning on, on using one. Cause, cause I would think, um, cause when I sold my business, you know, they wanted me to stay on for, you know, they tried to push for two years. They wanted me to be working with them, you know, full time. And then I negotiated it down and 
I ended up getting it down to, to 90 days is how long I had to stay on. But I would think if you're, if you're selling a business and you have an agency, even if you're just having an agency doing the ads, the Amazon ads, that's a big critical piece of it. Um, does that help the, the owner negotiate and say, Hey, you don't need me. I'm just the owner, but like you can keep using turnkey or whatever agency. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that before? Is my logic yeah. making sense? Great, great question. Let's start with, the fact that your buyer wanted you to stick around for two years, that you're absolutely right. Sticking around for two years is insane. You're selling your business to take some money off the table and go on to your next adventure. You're not selling it to go to work for the company that's buying it nine out of 10 times. If it's an enormous sale, maybe you are, and you're going to get paid very well for it while you're in transition for a year or two. Uh, But in most cases, that I, we call it a training and transition period. In most cases, that's only going to be for uh, about 90 days. In fact, in the asset purchase agreements, it generally reads literally uh, transition and training will be for a period of up to 40 hours over the first 90 days after closing, which means that if I'm buying your business, I'm actually running it, but you're going to give me about 40 hours of your time to make sure that I'm doing it right. And the more prepared you are with that documentation, the SOPs, the less time, the less headaches, the less hassle you're going to put in during training and transition for me. Because you gave me some SOPs. I know what to do every day. If, if this breaks, I have to you know, lift that up and pull that lever and so on and so forth. As far as uh, agencies, um, if, if, I'm, if I'm buying uh, an Amazon business, if I'm a, a brand new buyer or an aggregator or whatever it might be, and you're running the business in 20 hours a week because you've got an agency doing so much of the work and you're focused on new product launches, on new product design, on managing some staff and never ever running out of inventory, then that's really, really attractive. Because all I have to do is just do those little things that you do, right? That can be learned. I don't have to learn how to manage Amazon ads and display ads and all the other things that you at, at, at Turnkey is an expert at. So, you know, it, businesses that have a great agency like yours are more attractive to buyers because of the risk. The risk is lower and therefore the multiple is higher. They're more comfortable because they're just taking over a turnkey operation instead of having to jump into the grind of the daily business and figuring all sorts of stuff out. It's just a little bit more risk. They have to figure that all out. Instead, they've got a great agency like yours that's running it. So I do see that. And I see the companies that are working with an agency, the the FBA or Shopify stores that are using an agency, uh, they do sell for a higher value. I can't give you an exact multiple increase that will be at. Every business is different, but it's going to be at a higher value because uh, of the agency and the turnkey aspect of the business. It's lower risk for the buyer. If a buyer uh, typically uses an agency and the seller does not, they know stuff. They know <laughs> that the buyer's missing out or that the seller's currently screwing up on all sorts of things and that they can do better. And they're essentially you know, buying a business and they're gonna get instant equity in it because if they're using your agency, you can you know, do so much to, to, to grow that you know, revenue by 50 to 100% inside of a few months. So uh, buyers that uh, use agency like yours are, really excited to buy a business that is not operated with an agency because they know that they can do better. 
Nice. Okay, cool. No, that's very helpful. Yeah. And a few of our clients, they've bought businesses in the last couple of years and then, you know, it's a new brand or new account and they ask us to manage it and that's how they're, they're growing. So, um, yeah. yeah, you can go either, either way. Yeah. Um, also question, cause I know you don't only sell Amazon FBA businesses. Like, have you sold businesses like mine, like agencies, whether marketing oh, yeah. or Amazon agencies, have, have you, you know, sell in that space as well? Absolutely. Look, I'd say only half of our businesses is FBA related. The other half is, and, and, and that part's still growing like crazy, of course, but the other half is, you know, content businesses, SaaS businesses, agencies, um, pretty much anything that is an online business, um, other than, you know, stuff that you get in trouble if you're looking at it and your wife is looking over your shoulder. We don't do, we don't do uh, anything uh, alcohol or tobacco related, nothing porn related or anything like that um, or gambling, but uh, just about every other niche or space we definitely work with agencies, Amazon related agencies and agencies in general are um, the hot commodity these days because of these large private equity firms or aggregators that are buying up Shopify stores and rolling them up. They need a good, strong agency like yours. And they're oftentimes it's, it's called an acqui hire where they're, you know, they're, they're buying your customers, they're buying that future revenue, but they're also buying your staff, uh, you know, of, of, of 25, you know, us based operators that really, really understand Amazon. Uh, so that's called an acqui hire a SaaS business. You know, we've got a couple of the foremost experts in SaaS on our team uh, and, and some others on the team would argue that we have, you know, six experts because they've all, you know, not all, but most of them have run a SaaS business. Uh, David, David Newell ran, uh, I mean, he wrote, he wrote, you know, the foremost article, I think, on Amazon on building and selling a, a SaaS business. And at, at, at a certain point, a SaaS business can go from a multiple of discretionary earnings to a multiple of revenues uh, and and content sites very strong at uh, the largest business that I've sold year to date was a content site in the uh, soap opera space of all things uh, very very interesting wow. niche yeah growing like crazy uh, and that that was that was an interesting one the multiples in incredibly high. I actually didn't even calculate it at the end of the day. We initially listed it at at about a, a four time multiple. And uh, it was listed around $5 million. And then that uh, uh, the buyer, uh, we were under LOI going through due diligence and the seller actually called me on a Saturday afternoon. It's actually on the way home from a funeral. So I'm on the highway from Georgia, Georgia to Charlotte and, and uh, my client calls me and I'm like, okay, it's Saturday. This is never, never good when somebody's calling me on Saturday. And he's, he had a real hard time saying it. And this is an example of why I think that I want people to get comfortable talking to advisors that are here to help. And he, he basically, he really struggled to get to the point, but his point was, I don't think I can sell this business, Joe. And I'm like, okay, explain to me why. He goes, well, I did $300,000 in profit last month. I'm like, okay, let's do the math on that. It's 3.6 million annualized. Is that sustainable? Do you see that that's going to continue and possibly grow? He said, absolutely. I said, okay, well, at 5 million bucks, and 3.6 projected discretionary earnings. That's, he, I'm, I'm like, I support you. I'm like, I wouldn't sell it either. And he said, good, because you know, he was a single dad and had to think about future generation and things of that nature. And so we had a, or I had a very tough conversation with the buyer of that business to let him know that uh, my client's pulling out. And it was a non-binding letter of intent, so he could pull out. Um, 
he of course went off on me. Um, but then within three weeks, he made a much better offer as did two other buyers and it got bid up to just under $9 million. Uh, made a big difference in that person's life. And I didn't even bother calculating the multiple at that point, but it was much higher. But content sun sites are great. Even the aggregators are buying them now. You know, if they've got a product line of grilling aprons and now they can, you know, buy a content site that is about grilling and outdoor grilling and cooking and aprons, well, lo and behold, they can drive lots of traffic to their Amazon store for it as well. So yeah, every, every kind of niche we've dealt with, um, I've personally owned content sites and e-commerce businesses and agencies. Uh, I've never uh, run a SaaS business myself, but many of the team members have. Nice. No, that, that's awesome. That's a huge array of, uh, of types of businesses. So I guess for people in like the agency space, like, like mine or the consulting space, what, what can they do to increase the, you know, the multiple and increase the value and, and attractiveness to, uh, to a buyer? Yeah, it, it's a really good question. And I know we're talking about your business. So you know, I, this is when I'm hosting a podcast and I'm, I'm talking to somebody and I want to get specific stuff about how to market my, my book or my agency more. It's, it's, it's great to get their expertise. So if you happen to run uh, an agency uh, that's, you know, Amazon based and you've got, you know, 25 to 30 employees, um, you know, having a uh, a wide array of clients would be the first thing that I would suggest. So that, you know, the difference between uh, a hero client and non a non-hero client is that a hero client may be one client that generates 50% of your revenue. They may have 14 brands that you work on. So if you talk about the total number of brands that you have, it could be 28 brands. But when you drill down into it, you've got one client that has 14 brands and if they leave you, then you lose 50% of your revenue. So you want to avoid that as much as possible. Okay, that again, reduces the risk and increases the trust and confidence in potential buyers. Uh, you want to have, uh, I, I would think, great SOPs in place for when you bring on new staff and, and have a record of continually being able to hire new staff and support new clients on a regular basis and have that streamlined as much as possible. And then agreements with them, or at least a long history of recurring revenue with them, so that you can clearly demonstrate with math and logic that your the recurring revenue aspect of your business is growing by X amount every month or year over year. That's that's really important. So you can say, you know, in March of 2021, uh, you know, 72% of our revenue is from uh, existing recurring monthly clients and only 28% is from new business or one-off coaching clients and things of that nature. And then you want to compare that to the previous year where it might've been 61% and the buyer would be able to see year over year growth there. So it's not just about top line growth, but it's diversification with clients and hero skews, trying to avoid hero clients, um, SOPs in place so that somebody can take over your agency and just take your spot, Jeff. They don't have to be, you know, an expert in understanding, you know, uh, how to manage an Amazon account, but at, at, at some point they just going to steer the ship, right. And do client onboarding and, and, and marketing and promotion uh, and have, you know, a team in place that is going to be taken over when they buy the agency. Uh, all of those things are critical, critical steps in being well-organized. And then of course there's contracts would be wonderful, both with staff 
and clients. If you can do it, great. If you can't, it is what it is. You know, we have we have contracts with our advisors, but if they want to leave, they leave, right? We don't. We've only had one leave in 14 years. Um, you know, you you want to build an environment where you've got great people doing great things, and they love it so much with so much freedom and flexibility, they never want to leave. And you demonstrate that they haven't left, and that instills confidence in buyers. Contracts are just a piece of paper. They're they're good to a certain point. Of course, if you you know, break the contract and, and break a non-disclosure agreement or a non-compete agreement, it's a different story, but trying to stop somebody from making a living is, is, is altogether different. And I know you're a good human because I know some of the people you work with and that's, that's, not, that's not what you do. So agencies are, are, it's a good space to be in. It's a good space to be in at this point. Nice. Well, thanks. That's super helpful. And uh, yeah, those are really great tips. So you talked about your book, um, where can people buy it? And then what's one more good nugget that someone could apply to their business, you know, their, their Amazon product business uh, today? Okay. So they can buy it at, uh, they can buy it on Amazon. It's called the Exitpreneur's Playbook, or they could go to exitpreneur.io and download some free chapters. So I think we're giving away a free chapter on the ad backs and I should charge a dollar for it because then I could say I you're going to get a $10,000, a 10,000 return on your investment. Is that right? Uh -huh. 10,000 time return. On your I would be shocked. And I would love it if somebody would just let me know that they didn't, you know, uh, learn enough to at least add at least $10,000 to their business. In most cases, it's going to be 50 to a hundred thousand dollars above and beyond what they thought their business might be worth. Uh, I find that that's most often the case. You know, people tell me what they think their business is worth, and then we go through their P&L and do a proper ad back schedule. And lo and behold, it's discretionary earnings is higher in the multiples and the, and the business is worth more. So uh, there's a deal, uh, a chapter on that. There's a chapter on uh, negotiating with aggregators and deal structures in particular. Uh, all three of those are free. So exitpreneur.io or just do a search on Amazon. We've got the Kindle version. We've got paperback. We've got hardcover. I have not done the audio version yet because of COVID and studios being closed down. So we're still on a long list of uh, folks waiting to record the audio version. As far as one more nugget, I would say that if anybody is currently negotiating with any buyer, whether it's an aggregator or anybody that is looking to do uh, an earnout or a holdback or anything of that nature, um, where your future revenue is dependent on their ability to run the business well. I would add a clause. Well, let me give you two examples. They, uh, one, one, one term that the aggregators have come up with is a stability payment. If you Google it, you probably won't find it unless you land on my site. A stability payment is a nice way for them to hold back 10% of the purchase price. And you'll get that, of course, right? It's going to be held back and paid to you as long as 12 months out, the business is doing 90% of what it was when they bought the business, okay? And that you'd be like 90%, these guys are expert, no problem, 90%, that's great. And that's the point. They're trying to make it look easy and achievable. Um, they do it because they don't have to give you another $200,000 if your business is, is worth $2 million. The business will eventually just pay that for them. Uh, and they're buying your business with less cash and a lower multiple and impresses and, and uh, allows them, impresses their investors and allows them to buy, you know, another business. Maybe for every 10 that they buy with a 10% holdback, they can buy another $2 million business. The problem with it is that if you do, if they do 89.999%, you lose $200,000. So always add in a sliding scale. So if you're willing to accept the 90%, say if you're 85 to 
less than 90%, it goes from 200,000 to 175,000. If you're uh, 80 to 85%, it's 150,000 and so on and so forth. And then maybe say, okay, I, I get that, but, or, and I really have confidence in the business. I know you do too. That's why you're buying it. If it's a, from 90 to 95%, let's make it 225,000. If it's 95 to 100, let's make it 250. So that's tip number one. Uh, tip number two is really, really critical. Uh, and I could give you five more, but this one is, um, it's, 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 it's kind of scary. So I've seen this happen, right? Uh, if you imagine these people are, uh, again, aggregators are wonderful people. They're helping rise all multiples for all e-commerce businesses, right? Not just FBA businesses, but they're, they're you know, they're, they're raising up the multiples of all of them. So they're, they're, they're likable people. They're good. They're well-educated. And I know many of them. I had drinks and dinner with many of them and uh, we're friends. Um, but they're growing so fast that they have to bring on people at a rapid pace. And those people are not necessarily as passionate about your brand as you are. So you're going to work very hard to make sure you don't run out of inventory. In your case, it might be because you don't have the capital. They have the capital to buy plenty of inventory, but they may not have the expertise to pay as much attention to the details if that one person they brought on is managing 14 brands. And so you always want to have a clause in there that says that in the next 12 months, if you run out of XYZ SKU for any more than a two-week period in any three months, all bets are off. You owe me that stability payment. You owe me that earnout. You owe me that profit sharing plan to the fullest amount and that you need to pay me within 30 days. You don't want your future earnings to be dependent on someone else's ability to run your business and have them make a simple little mistake like running out of inventory. You had nothing to do with it. They just screwed up. If it's a natural disaster, you can add a clause in there. They'll want you to add a clause in there, um, but definitely have something in there. The last little thing I'd say, Jeff, is if you're selling and you're getting paid a profit sharing plan and earn out a stability payment on the future, you should have view only access to all of the reports, whether it's Google Analytics, Seller Central, whatever it might be, you might as well, you can, you're going to be sort of a strategic advisor, keeping an eye on things, looking now and then, but it's really for you to sleep better at night. You don't want to have to wait blindly for 12 months to see if you're going to get $200,000 and put in that swimming pool or buy that boat or pay for your kid's education. You want to be able to look at it all along the way. And in fact, I had a client that had view-only access and they were able to help the buyer avoid running out of inventory because he could see what was happening and kept pinging the product manager to you know, order more inventory. So I would say all of those things, a sliding scale, if it's any kind of stability payments, uh, any kind of uh, earnout or anything like that, have a clause. If they run out of inventory, all bets are off. And then lastly, view only reports to absolutely everything that you can get access to. So you can sleep better at night during that time period when you're getting paid based upon their success on the business. Nice. Those are amazing tips. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys listen back to all this because there's a lot of nuggets. Even if you're not selling your business, you know, right now or in the next three months, like all of these things help build a stronger sellable business that you should be doing and thinking about ahead of time anyway. So uh, yeah, lastly, why don't you just wrap it up? I uh, want to ask, when should people contact you? Like, should they wait until like, oh, I, I want to sell my business, you know, tomorrow or next month? Or when should they contact you? And then how can people get a hold of you or your company? Yeah. So the sooner the better, right? Uh, and they could be by the book if you're more comfortable 
digesting and reading material, uh, Kindle paperback, uh, I don't care. Um, or if you want to speak to an advisor, you can do that as well. Uh, you can reach an advisor at quietlight.com or at expreneur.io on the uh, valuation page. Um, when you should do that, not when you first start the business. I'm not a fan of you just launched it. You should always understand your exit plan the day you start your business. That's, that's not the case if you're a brand new entrepreneur, in my view. You should be focused on keeping the wheels on the bus and, and making sure that your business is growing and strong and, 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 and profitable. Once you are feeling that and seeing that, the sooner the better. Uh, we prefer uh, our ideal clients, uh, our best clients, they get the maximum value for the business. We're talking to them 6, 12, 18, and in some cases, 24 months out. We actually just sold a business that I know that the first conversations we had with the person was a SaaS business was about 10 years ago. Uh, so wow. the, the sooner you can start to really understand um, valuations, what your business might be worth, the, the better. Because ultimately, and hopefully, you're going to set a goal on when you, how much you want to sell the business for, when you want to sell the business for, and how you want to feel when you sell that business. And when you do all of those things and you know where you're going, you have to figure out where you are today. And you can't get there if you don't know where you are. And where you are is how much is your business worth today. So I would say the book... Uh, go to quietlight.com. There's lots of resources there as well. Same as exitpreneur.io. And of course, if you want to get evaluation, do it on either side. Nobody puts any pressure on you. There's no contracts. Just like I told Uncle Walter, we give everything away. We help as much as possible with the hopes that someday you'll work with us, but there's absolutely no obligation whatsoever. As nice. far as what was the second question? I think I answered it. Quietlight.com, exitpreneur.io, uh, free chapters. That's what I would do first, actually. Go for the free chapters on exitpreneur.io. Or if you want to uh, go right to buy the book, I just go straight to Amazon and do that there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Joe, so much for sharing so much knowledge with us. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend you guys out there listening, uh, no matter where you're at in your business, you know, go go learn that stuff because you know your, your, your exit that you might have one day can, can be a life-changing event. And, you know, uh, if you really plan it out and do it the right way, like Joe's talking about, it could be 30%, 40%, 50% greater than it could be just by putting in a little bit of extra time and work and planning and thought. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Joe. And highly recommend you guys go check out the, everything he said at Quiet Light. So thank you. Bye. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on.